0: Welcome to the Food Intelligence Podcast brought to you by Tastewise. My name is Ron, and today we're talking about the state of delivery in the US. Uh, This is Food Service Sales Month here at Tastewise, so everything we're doing has to do with um, working with and selling to restaurants. So we're kicking it off by taking a look at some delivery trends in the US. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Um, <laughs> Post intro, welcome back.
1: Thank
0: so you. awkward. Yeah, starting the podcast. <laughs> welcome is, back is from where
1: you were ten seconds ago. Thank <laughs> exactly. you so much. <laughs>
0: um, so this uh, very special episode of the Food Intelligence Podcast, uh, where we we're, usually we're talking about um, uh, food trends and insights, uh, and today we're doing that as well, but just from a different perspective. We're going to be taking a look at delivery. Um, though I do have a surprise today. I'm going to start with a joke.
1: Ooh, love Are you it. you ready?
0: It is love not a podcast I, joke. I don't have, it is really bad. It's uh, very much at the dad joke territory, which is my favorite. And it is also does, doesn't have anything to do with food. That's um,
1: as a Miriam, company, yeah. that's what we need. <laughs> Culturally, <laughs> that's where we're at. So let's as a, hear it.
0: As a society.
1: <laughs> as a society.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what do the movies Titanic and The Sixth Sense have in common?
1: What do the movies The Titanic and The Sixth Sense, sixth sense have in common?
0: Icy Dead People. <gasps>
1: <laughs> That's <laughs> awful and brilliant. That's really good. I'm adding <laughs> I that like. to the Hall of Fame.
0: I like, uh, you You can always tell that a joke is good when the response is not to laugh. It's just to say, oh, that, was, like, that
1: was really pure good. Pure shock. Yeah. You can't see my face, but it was a good <laughs> few seconds of just shock. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Good. I love it. I'm glad that you shared it. Thank you.
0: All right. And on that note, uh, can you walk us through what we're going to be talking about? <laughs>
1: Icebergs today. Um, just kidding. Uh, we are going to be looking <laughs> at delivery trends. Um, so just to just kind of a preface here, personally, um, I really have loved getting to know the world of food service sales. Um, throughout the course of preparing for this month and just generally working at Taste Rise, it's something that we think a lot about. Um, and getting to know kind of the the day to day of what it means to be. Uh, you know, like let's say a CPG selling their products to restaurants and the whole process and all that. That's been absolutely fascinating. So if you are a listener and this is your day-to-day, kudos to you. You do really interesting uh, and challenging work. Um, And it has been a pleasure to get to know a little bit about that uh, through our work for this podcast and the whole month. Um, All right. So let's take a look at some delivery trends. Um, So newsflash, world delivery, is a big deal. Um, and it has been for a while. So if you are a long time listener of the pod, I think, uh, like right at the start, we did a little bit of, um, kind of diving deep into delivery trends from the insights perspective. So thinking about um, kind of what types of food, what types of ingredients, things like that, people were uh, were ordering, what types of cuisines, all of that. So now we're gonna flip it around and look at it from the actual side of food service. So looking at restaurants and delivery platforms and what are trends going on in that space currently, uh, more on kind of the, the macro and the geographic side of things. So we'll talk about what that means in just a second. So we'll start off um, by thinking about you know, broadly, what's going on with delivery as just a concept, right? Um, what, you know, is delivery still increasing? I know that right at the start of the pandemic in April of 2020, March of 2020, we saw these huge increases in uh, in delivery, right? It was the survival mechanism for restaurants in the US all over the world, right? Uh, people had to pivot very, very quickly. Um, and these delivery platform giants were there to kind of, Accomplish that goal, right? Um, The the framework was already there. Delivery has obviously been on the rise over the past few years, kind of pandemic pandemic to the side. Um, So these these platforms were there to kind of uh, embrace these restaurants that were pivoting. Obviously, that comes with its own kind of suite of interesting um, like challenges and integrations and all of that. Um, So let's look at now. Now that we're in twenty twenty two, we're almost two years into the pandemic. Um, So we are looking at uh, right now, and I'll give you kind of the numbers. So Currently, across the US, um, the percentage of restaurants that are available on delivery on the top three platforms, so we're looking at Grubhub, DoorDash, and Uber Eats, um, we're looking at 57%. So only 57% of restaurants in the US are available uh, in some capacity on three delivery platforms. So not all three, just at least one of those three major delivery platforms. Um, The uh, US major city that is most available on delivery is actually, what do you guess? Let's do it this way. What do you guess is the most, the city that has most of its restaurants, the highest percentage of restaurants available on a delivery platform?
0: So, um, so th- this is not uh, restaurants that uh, have delivery at all, like onsite, outside of the platforms, but we're talking specifically Correct. about which city has the most restaurants on the major delivery platforms, yeah?
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Uh, It would probably have have to be um, either uh, like East Coast or West Coast, like New York or or LA, right? Nice. Okay. Number one. So,
1: yeah. I would guess.
0: (laughs) I would guess LA.
1: Ooh. And you just miss it. Um, (laughs) So, you are right to identify LA and New York as being kind of the coastal champions. That's not a huge surprise, right? We know that both of those cities are um, incredibly plugged into delivery, but also just the sheer mass of those cities um, and the cultural element of delivering both of those kind of position those as, as clear leaders. So um, 74.3%, so we'll say 74% of New York restaurants are available on these delivery platforms, um, whereas 735 is available in LA. Um, so three quarters, let's say, uh, roughly, of restaurants in LA and New York are available on these major delivery platforms in some capacity. So, um,
0: and these are... Uh, So 74% of New York City restaurants are available on at least one of the three major uh, delivery platforms. Um, Exactly. I'm I'm emphasizing this because um, it's easy to think about uh, delivery, about like, oh, of course, everybody will be delivering everywhere. You can get everything on delivery. That's actually not true. It's actually not true that everything in every single restaurant is on delivery, and this is one of the biggest opportunities in food service for, especially for uh, CPGs who are selling directly through menus. Uh, Since we're seeing, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later, but a lot of our customers have been using uh, menus as a really great way to both measure their brands in local areas. So, for example, how many menus in New York City? does my brand appear on by name if my product is um, a beverage or some sort of uh, packaged good like ice cream or or something like that? Uh, So that's a really good measure. So if you know that mentions on menus is an amazing path to the market for you, and you also know that in a major city like New York, um, 74% of restaurants um, are on at least one of them, but how many restaurants are on all three? Breakdown.
1: Right, so that's that's yeah, that's a really great question. So let's take a look at that. Um, so on at le- or on all three, um, we see that nationwide only thirty three percent of restaurants are on all three. Okay. Um. So this means that, you know, restaurants that offer. Uh, menus on a Grabhub, DoorDash, and Uber Eats individually, right? And that's mm-hmm. not, we're not, again, commenting on like if they have their own uh, service to the side. Quick brief note about that because you mentioned that a second ago. Um, the reason that we don't uh, track that or that I'm not tracking that in this particular research is because we're thinking about um, all of this in the context of food service sales, right? And the idea of when you're selling into food service and especially thinking about delivery integrations is you want to reach as many consumers as possible, right? As many people as possible. Um, mm-hmm. And these massive delivery platforms have the most uh, kind of consumer buy-in, right? We're seeing that so many people are on these apps and are using them. Um, and so, if you're if you're thinking about what information is relevant for you, when you're thinking about you know your sales pitch and sales strategies and whatever, tapping into these platforms is uh, is kind of the, uh, the the interesting metric to have right now.
0: Yeah, and this has consequences both in um, ingredient and and uh, flavor, like flavoring cells or condiments or things mm. like that, but also in consumer packaged goods. Because what this means essentially, so if we kind of go back to, to my partner earlier, if we now know that 33 uh, percent uh, of n- like US nationwide, 33 percent of restaurants are on all three, uh, delivery platforms. And this is from over a million restaurants. So this is still a significant chunk. And I'm seeing yeah. that in New York, the number, just specifically in New York, the number is also around that. It's 34%, 35% of restaurants in New York are on all three delivery platforms. If you have found a really good vector into into your uh, customers, uh, so for example, let's say that you know, because you're selling a um, specific type of let's say, uh, olive oil or a condiment, and you know that that pairs really well with a very specific dish, and you have a really amazing pitch on how to sell that uh, to specific types of restaurants, it's very likely that if you get your partners, your food service partners, those restaurants, um, to sell that dish uh, on more than one delivery platforms, um, there's going to be more value in it for them. There's going to be a benefit in it for them, which in turn will have them buying more of your product. So we always like to think about how can you use this data that we're pulling from the TasteWise platform? How can you use it not to just find the right prospects, which of course is kind of step number one, and it's really, really important, but also sure. um, in this like state of the world right now today, how do we use this data to make restaurants more successful? how do we uh, kind of raise up the whole food service ecosystem? Um, mm. Because it is such an incredible innovation platform for the entire food and beverage industry, right? And this is a way to do that, right? This is a way right. to, to get them uh, to have their uh, products out to, to more people, to, to the right people. Um, so really, really interesting about that.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's also important to say that we're not dismissing, of course, um, you know, individual locations, let's say, having their own uh, delivery setup, right? We're not saying, you know, that that doesn't matter, that there's not room for creativity and for, for reach in that. We're just saying in this particular, like, set of research in this particular set of data that we're, we're focused on these major platforms. But um, absolutely, there's, I think, room for, for innovation and for success and empowerment, right, for these single service lo- or single location places with their own delivery metrics.
0: Mm-hmm. I do want to quickly mention um as a bit of a shameless plug, but just because I think it genuinely could be useful, um, every Tuesday we do um our Tastewise Live sessions where we kind of go through research on any particular topic. And typically we do, you know, we uh dive into like uh, concepts or dishes or uh food trends and stuff like that. Um this month, everything that we're doing has to do with food service sales. And just actually yesterday when we're recording this, it's a Wednesday. So just yesterday we did um, a taste size live where we took a look at it uh, in an example of this. Exactly. I think we were looking at vegan cheese and we were looking mm-hmm. at which restaurants in San Francisco could benefit from my vegan cheese product. Um, and then we saw, Uh, that some of them are on all three delivery platforms. Many of them are obviously in San Francisco, but not necessarily selling all um, items on the menu on all three platforms. So if you are interested in uh, knowing which restaurants in a specific location are selling which items on which delivery platforms. If that's going to be useful for you, please let us know this month at live at tastewise.io and we'll be sure to include it in one of our upcoming TasteWise Live sessions because it just can be a really useful thing to know.
1: We're also doing uh, next week's podcast episode on that. So looking at menu gaps and thinking about um, what that means for, for business and what kind of money is left on the table.
0: Yeah. And since we're um, so good at uh, planning, you have literally until a day before <laughs> the podcast releases to, to send us things. Uh, if literally you want it the in, morning of.
1: That's yeah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I want to note, so I want to run through some of the, the data just to kind of quickly wrap up that point about the three, um, on at least three delivery platforms. So um I so we spoke about how 33% of the us nationwide um is on at least three delivery platforms right so only about a third right okay? pretty much mm-hmm. on the nose a third um we said that la is actually on a 44% or 44% excuse me of la restaurants are on at least three mm-hmm. right which is the the reigning champion um in the us if we look at other cities and the ones we're tracking for this are um, New York City, Phoenix, San Francisco, Chicago, Houston, and Pittsburgh. So trying to get kind of a geographic cross-section of the U.S. while also focusing on places with high population and high kind of geographic area. Um, one of the actual lowest penetrations, um, aside from Pittsburgh, which is the uh, the actual lowest, um, is actually New York. So New York has one of the lowest penetrations, which is surprising to me, of restaurants on at least three um delivery platforms. Right. So that, that's interesting. I think we could do like a whole episode on that, like diving deep into why do restaurants choose to not, um, have menus on all three delivery platforms. Right. Um, and, uh, like what is behind that choice and how can you understand that and then use that in your pitches or use that in the way that you're navigating that particular market. So there's a lot of geographic, um, specificity going on here. And I think the more data that you have in pocket to understand specifically what's going on in these different cities and their different relationships to delivery platforms can only make your pitch stronger.
0: It's really interesting to see the gap. Um, I mean, obviously, there are so many restaurants on delivery in New York. Um, it's really interesting that it would also be the place where uh, there's the, the fewest, like percentage wise, the fewest that are um, on right. all delivery platforms.
1: So another piece of um, interesting, as long as we're thinking about uh, percentages of restaurants on at least three delivery platforms, I want to talk a little bit about virtual restaurants. So ghost kitchens, virtual restaurants, whatever you want to call it. Um, This is a really fascinating concept that has gotten a lot of steam throughout the pandemic, right? These are restaurants that don't necessarily have a specific brick and mortar, but are... um, you know, focusing exclusively on delivery. So, let's say you know multiple restaurant concepts could be using the same brick and mortar kitchen, um, using a big delivery platform or their own individual. But we're seeing more likely on uh, these big delivery platforms um, to send out their uh, you know their offerings to the world and to the market using solely delivery platforms. So, um, we I took a look at uh, which of these major United major U.S. cities actually have uh, the highest penetration of restaurants that are a good fit for virtual restaurant concepts. Um, And we'll talk about what I mean by good fit in a second. Um, Out of restaurants that are already on delivery. So we looked at um, all of the restaurants that are already on these three major platforms and have at least four stars in uh, consumer reviews, like in, uh, in ratings, right? So that means that these are um, restaurants that are already really well integrated into the delivery landscape and already have a really good reputation. Okay. Um, and we're using that as a metric to understand if that would be a great place to pitch a virtual restaurant concept. So if, um, you know, you already know that restaurant X, let's say in Chicago, right, has, um, really awesome perception in the market. Um, and you have an awesome virtual restaurant idea surrounding your product, let's say, or, just generally. Um, you could pitch to them and say, hey, what do you think about sharing a kitchen, um, kind of using the, the brand power that you already have in this space? Um, and then we can use that as a, as a stepping stone to kind of make further waves in the market. Um, so we're seeing that some people are already already doing that, and that's really interesting. Um, so Ron, I'll ask you another question. Which of the cities that we've discussed do you think has the highest percentage of restaurants that are a good fit for virtual restaurants? So again, between LA, New York, Phoenix, San Francisco, Chicago, Houston, and Pittsburgh.
0: Um, I, it's probably going to be like not the in, intuitive answer, but I still like I have to say LA. It sounds like it would be LA because so of all actually, of like the all of the celebrity uh, mm-hmm. virtual restaurants.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, so good, good point there. So LA, so thirty, almost thirty six percent of restaurants that are already on delivery are a good fit for virtual restaurants. So there's a lot of creative options there in LA. So if you you know if you're working in LA and you have an interesting concept, why not consider kind of pivoting it into a virtual restaurant? concept and using already the integrations that are already you know working on the ground um, to move forward there. I'll give you kind of the other numbers. So th- it's only about 28% nationwide in the US. Um, New York is 28%. Phoenix is actually uh, 34%, which is pretty cool. Um, LA is 36, as we said. Um, Phoenix is 34 Uh, or I just said that, Um, San Francisco is 32, Chicago is only 28, which is surprising to me because back in uh, May of 2021, Chicago actually had the highest penetration. So Chicago has reduced its penetration of restaurants that qualify for this.
0: So um, I'm sorry if you already went through this, but how do you define um, a restaurant that is a good fit for virtual restaurants?
1: Yeah, yeah. So again, just uh, restaurants that are already integrated with the three major delivery platforms and have at least four stars in uh, consumer reviews or in uh, like ratings.
0: That's interesting because there's a lot of uh, companies out there, especially companies that own um, real estate in uh, in these um, areas uh, that are turning to the virtual uh, restaurant uh, model right now. And it, this can either be approaching these restaurants and telling them, hey, can we operate virtual restaurant brands from your kitchens and then operate deliveries from uh, your kitchens, or it can be... Um, can we use your established brand to create another kitchen that uses your recipes in order to bring your delivery uh, closer to somewhere where uh, usually you do not operate? So exactly. um, there's a there's an entire business model with uh, a lot of companies doing this very very uh, very very successfully um, around essentially finding the restaurants that would be an amazing fit for this, approaching them with an offer that. In most cases, is very beneficial to the restaurant as well as to the um, as well as to the, the selling company. And another format right. is, of course, when a celebrity just comes in and to, like, puts their name on a burger, and it's like, okay, it's a virtual right, right, restaurant right. now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. And it's following um, as we've been talking about a lot recently in the podcast, like this digital di- digitalization of the food and beverage world, right? That we're seeing in all of these different areas, food service included. Um, this shift towards digital methods um and i think it's, it's also an innovative interesting to track uh innovative there it's we go we got it in um <laughs> exactly uh, i think it's also you know remarkable that uh meaning worth remarking upon that um th- so many of these trends are also dictated by um pr- like uh real estate pricing you just mentioned real estate firms um or companies that are working in this so uh, you know the us if you think about the most expensive cities in the U.S. and how expensive it is to open a new brick and mortar concept, especially during COVID times when things are so challenging for restaurant space, um, it just financially also makes a lot of sense to to pivot towards virtual restaurants as a kind of sustainable long term concept. Yeah. So we see that, for example, like LA, right? It's a real estate very pricey in LA, and we see that it's you know a huge share of restaurants there are a great fit. Like that's a kind of a match made in heaven.
0: Yeah. All right.
1: Amazing. Cool. Okay. We ready for the next uh, set of trends.
0: We looked at uh, how many we looked at how uh, well penetrated restaurants are on different delivery platforms. Um, and yeah. now I'm cheating because now I'm looking at the spreadsheet. Um, <laughs> so so bear that Stealing in
1: mind. Stealing my spreadsheet thunder. <laughs>
0: yeah so that's exactly what I'm doing right now. so we we looked at um, how restaurants are performing on the the different uh, delivery platforms um, and how you can use some of that criteria and some of that data in order to to make informed decisions with the offers that uh, you're making them. Um, exactly. What are we what kind of category of things are we looking on uh, next?
1: <laughs> you know the answer to that because you're looking at the spreadsheet. We're there are going so to... many
0: this is like okay. <laughs> On, please, on, when we post this on social media, just post like a screenshot of this crazy, like beast of a spreadsheet that has like a million different, and Miriam sends this to me before the podcast, like, this is what we're going to be talking about. And I was like, oh, that is like, (laughs) I've never seen more
1: numbers. (laughs) If you want to look inside my head, you'll just find a Chrome browser with 40 tabs open, with each of those being a color-coded spreadsheet with individual taps within it okay so this is just like a neurological experiment as well um so we'll post that on on uh, on social as well um okay so to answer your question uh, so we're gonna actually dive deeper now into what we actually mean by uh, which of which plot which of the major platforms um is, is seeing the highest penetration across these uh, major US cities so we, we talked about you know at least on three restaurants at least on two restaurants at least in delivery at all right um reviews, ratings, et cetera. So now we're going to actually look at Grubhub, DoorDash, and Uber Eats. So what are the penetrations uh, kind of across the U.S. here? So um, maybe we can do this in a fun little back and forth way. Uh, so Ron, mm-hmm. tell me, um, when we're thinking about Grubhub, which U.S. city do you think has the highest penetration of restaurants available on Grubhub, just based on what you know anecdotally?
0: Um it would have to, as a as a guy living in Tel Aviv, uh, this would have to be just a complete guess. Out of the same cities we talked about earlier,
1: <laughs> using your <laughs> using, using your knowledge as a <laughs> as an Israeli who lives in Israel of yeah. the American, was uh, was uh, also like I don't <laughs> I don't know
0: if if you can see uh, like uh, you can't see me, but I'm I'm actively like not looking at the screen with the spreadsheet where I would you're have doing the great. answer. Um so okay I'll try to just not say a New York and uh and LA anymore. So let's go with um like Phoenix
1: maybe? Great question. So no, we're going to talk about Phoenix in a second, but it actually for Grubhub it's actually New York. Sorry. Um <laughs> So <laughs> setting um, setting
0: me up for failure.
1: <laughs> exactly. Sorry. So 81 82% let's say of restaurants in New York City that are available on delivery are available on Grubhub. So that is a overwhelming majority. The U.S. number is actually only 67%. Um, so mm-hmm. New York, by and away, kind of blows everybody else out of the water. Um, Grubhub has really found a stronghold, it looks like, in New York City. Uh, just to give you the other numbers, um, L.A. is only 67%, so pretty huge gap there, right? That's what is that, 13, whatever, how many percent, over 10% of a, of a gap. Um, Phoenix is actually up there, um, and it's 76%. Chicago mm-hmm. is 78, San Francisco is 65, Houston is 77, let's And again, say, these and numbers Pittsburgh
0: are a um, percentage of restaurants uh, who are on Grubhub in these cities.
1: Out of, exactly, out of the restaurants that are available for delivery. So looking at the entire nexus of um, of restaurants that are available for delivery at all, what mm-hmm. percentage of those are available on this specific platform? So yeah. Those are, that's the numbers for Grandpa. Um Let's think about DoorDash. What do you think about DoorDash? Which city do you think is the crowned champion for DoorDash use?
0: Well, of course, it's San Francisco.
1: <sighs> well done, Ron. Really <laughs> using those... Those, really, uh, really those eyeballs those, there.
0: <laughs> really using those uh, yellow highlights on
1: uh. Yep, exactly. So exactly. So DoorDash um is most prevalent in San Francisco. So we're seeing about 82% same similar metrics to New York for Grubhub. So um 82% of restaurants available on delivery in San Francisco are on DoorDash. Um the nationwide number for that is about 75% and for you data nerds out there, I'll just run through quickly. LA is only about 80%. New York is sixty three percent, so very far below um the San Francisco almost twenty percent lower. Phoenix is seventy one, uh, Chicago is sixty eight, Houston is seventy, and Pittsburgh is sixty four. Um, and finally, Uber Eats. Um, and this is not a surprise to me because I actually just spent a month in LA and found that Uber Eats uh, had the most restaurants that I wanted to order from. So just anecdotally, I love bringing in kind of the anecdotal experience because food and beverage is so much about, um, we are all eaters and drinkers. Right? We're all consumers in addition to what we do for our, our day-to-day jobs. Um, so it, it's exciting to me always to feel my experience reflected in the data and um, understanding that gut feeling really does have a, a you know a role to play You can use as much data as you want and you should, right? But also bringing in kind of the the art of gut feeling is important too. Um, So the point is when I spent a month in LA, I ordered a lot on Uber Eats, much to my wallet's chagrin. Um, And we're seeing that LA is the champion for Uber Eats. So 65% of... um, US or of LA restaurants that are available on delivery are available on Uber Eats. That number for uh, nationwide is only 51%. So of the of the three major delivery platforms nationwide, um, the kind of order of ranking would be DoorDash dominates at 75%, Grubhub is 67%, and Uber Eats is only 52. Um, so you can kind of get a sense of the rankings there.
0: Mm-hmm. Um and these are um I'm sorry for that I keep reiterating this just to make sure I no, have the please. numbers straight in my yeah, head. Yeah. So these please. are percent out of all the restaurants that are available on delivery platforms, this is how well uh penetrated these delivery platforms are nationwide in the US.
1: Exactly. Exactly, okay. yeah, exactly. Um so why why is that important, right? Um, if you are actively selling in New York City and you know that Grubhub has the highest established presence there out of the three, you might mm-hmm. want to create a list for yourselves of, you know, those 82% of restaurants, right, that actively sell on Grubhub um, and pitch directly to them because you know that they have the widest reach in the area, right? If you're thinking about trying to get your product on people's plates or delivery bags or whatever you want to say, right, um, mm-hmm. that would be kind of a really easy way to start prioritizing. And we'll we'll do uh, maybe another podcast episode on um you know, how you should prioritize in sales uh, pipelines, right? Or sales, uh, like, when you're putting together a prioritized list, how you actually mm-hmm. do that when you're equipping your sales teams. Um, but, because I think that's interesting in and of itself. But yeah, so I think that that's kind of the the high-level takeaway here for why understanding these penetrations actually matters in your day-to-day.
0: Yeah, and we're seeing, you know... There's a lot of data out there like we're specifically taking all of this data out of uh, the tastewise platform but there's a lot of data that uh, that's going to be very relevant to a certain segment that you sell to and a lot of this is also going to come down to how do you visualize this data to your salespeople internally in the company? Um, so, there's a lot of interesting ways to do this directly into Salesforce or your CRM of choice, where if you have an account open for like a specific uh, restaurant, for example, have the data in there about how well they're performing on a uh, specific delivery platform or even something that has to do with their menu. Um, yeah. there's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of creative ways out there that you can pull this data automatically and send it directly into, your, uh, into Salesforce. Uh, or your CRM of choice. Um, but I think that because the, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I, you know, as someone who works in marketing who works with salespeople, uh, there's so much data out there about how we can do our jobs better and how we can focus our ICP and how we can be really targeted with the people that we go after and, and the, the things we say to them that the just sheer amount of data can be overwhelming. Um, and finding ways to organize that data in a really consumable way on your uh, CRM system is—it's beyond valuable. Um, so that's also something important to think about as you're as you're building through this.
1: Yeah, that's an awesome point. And not just organizing it, right? But like making sure that the data speaks to your specific needs and is customizable to what you need is is a huge impact. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of, you just said menus. Um, we're going to switch gears a little bit for these kind of last observations. We're we're pretty close to time, but I'll see what we can sneak in. Um, We've just looked at the actual platforms themselves, right, and looked at the geographic breakdowns about. Um, the penetration of restaurants on each of these uh, each of these delivery platforms and what that means for your business. Let's look now at the actual menus um, that are on those delivery platforms. Um, so we're going to look at two categories. We're going to look at cuisine, and then we're going to look at um, dynamic menus. And we'll talk about what dynamic menus mean in a second. So let's start with uh, cu- like the cuisine stats. So um, I took a look at uh, the... So cuisines, when I'm mentioning them right now, are actually self-declared. So we're looking at restaurants that self-declare themselves that's a redundant, that's self-declare as, um, let's say, Italian or American, right? We're not, we're not saying that this is a menu that mentions an Italian dish. This is, a, this is a restaurant that declares itself as Italian, and therefore the menu in and of itself is Italian. So we're looking at um, the penetration of, within each of these cuisine categories, the availability on delivery, okay? Mm-hmm. So for example, we're looking at what percentage of Italian restaurants nationwide um, are available for delivery on these platforms. Okay. So if so, uh,
0: if a restaurant sells pasta, that's not enough for them to be categorized as an Italian restaurant. That that's what you're exactly
1: going to say. they have to categorize themselves on delivery um, and on like digital presence in a certain way. Um, mm-hmm. We could do this if you wanted the the other way around, right? Like the example that you just gave, we could look at restaurants that sell pasta and how many of those. But that would be such a wide, you know, you could have a sushi restaurant that happens to offer, I don't know, some sort yeah. of pasta dish, right? And that wouldn't necessarily classify it as such. So. Um, I took a look at a t- that the major, um, using our insights platform, actually pulled out some of this, um, looked at our top uh, major cuisines in the US. So we looked at Italian, American, Indian, pizza, sushi, Chinese, Mexican, um, and then looked at cafe and fast food as well. Those aren't necessarily cuisines, but looked at kind of those two forms mm-hmm. of restaurants um, and wanted to understand of those, uh, which cuisine kind of wins for having the highest percentage of of delivery. So Tell me Ron without looking which I just saw you did which uh which category do you think which cuisine category wins for delivery
0: So you when you say wins for delivery you mean which cuisine um which cuisine is most available like on
1: Yeah has the highest exactly the... the highest penetration okay. of delivery restaurants yeah
0: I kind of want to say I actually like I <laughs> I didn't get a good look at it. Um, okay. <laughs> so I, I want to say I want to say Italian uh, because I'm just thinking about pizza. Um, sure. Yeah. So yeah. we actually
1: we actually cl- clarified between Italian and pizza. So there's Italian, mm-hmm. of course, that serves pizza, but also places that include themselves as or describe themselves as solely for pizza. Pizza places. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So um, surprisingly, pizza is actually one of the worst represented um, in really? the market uh-huh, on delivery. Um, I, I have a, those three I, major delivery platforms.
0: I have a theory on why that is.
1: I do too. It, yeah. Do you want to tell me?
0: Yeah, because of like the the major pizza chains because you exactly. you order directly from Domino's exactly. and Papa John's uh and not so much directly from DoorDash or Right. So that that was uh, one yeah. of the
1: insights that I want to pull out is that understanding um kind of the the specific cuisine oriented uh like scene right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Understand that pizza places, for example, like if I'm going to order Papa John's, I order it usually through like the Papa John's, right? That they've, they've created their own kind of industry, like mini industry niche moment around delivery. Um, but it is still interesting to know that only 55%, let's say of pizza places actually, um, are available on these three delivery platforms. Um, Italian is around 94%, which is pretty great, but the winner is actually Indian. So Indian is 98%. So that's a really high number. 98% um, of Indian restaurants are available on delivery across the country. Um, I'll run through the numbers just in case this is relevant for anybody who's working on any projects. Um, So American, 97%. Sushi, 79%, let's say, I'm rounding up. Um, Chinese, 95%. So see that gap between Chinese and sushi, right? Really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, we would have to look into that more. I have a, a suspicion that sushi restaurants tend to also use uh, like individual um, individual delivery services per location rather than uh, than kind of the massive platforms. But I, I don't have anything to back that up. That's just a, a gut feeling. Um, Mexican is ninety two. Cafes are only forty six. Fast food is eighty five. Um, and breakfast and brunch, which I didn't mention before, but another one I took a look at is around uh, ninety four.
0: I wonder if um, things like Asian fusion or things like that, like how would they be categorized? Um, So, for example, we're looking at Chinese, uh, Japanese, Korean, like there's and these are all kind of unique um, Mm -hmm. cuisines that are that are different. And I feel like in many so sushi that um, is traditionally a Japanese dish um gets kind of bolted on to a lot of Asian or Asian fusion uh, sure. dishes. So I guess that's why you also did like the separation between um Asian like specific Asian cuisines and sushi.
1: Um yeah. Yeah exactly. And that I mean if you if you listen to our our um podcast on, I think two or three weeks ago, uh, about top us trends and thinking about how American audiences are actually starting to parse apart these types of cuisines, right? They're not just saying Asian food, right? They're like getting, they're drilling deeper into these like regional cuisines. Um, I think it would be interesting to track amongst them, right? If you really wanted to dive into it and look at, uh, you know, all the different types of regional cuisines in Asia, you could do that. Um, I'm actually looking, you can, Uh, so just because I did use the TaserWise platform for this, um, you can actually look at Asian fusion as well. So we have a classification and I could do the the numbers later for this, but um, Mm -hmm. you could look at Asian fusion restaurants and think about like delivery for that. But um, in the whole scope anyway, Indian is the clear winner um, even like far beyond the uh, kind of the sushi or Chinese ones that we were talking about. Um, Yeah. Okay. So I'll round us out with a, a final note about dynamic menus. So this is a really interesting one. Um, looking at the menus that in the last month um, have added a menu item, and you could do this for subtracted a menu item or you know changed pricing or whatever. But I like to look at um, added a menu item because to me that shows, uh, you know, taking risks, experimenting. Uh, they are, they are using some form of information to guide the fact that they are adding a new dish, right? Whether it's just like. Feedback of their customers, or you know, they maybe they have a new vendor and they're trying something out, right? But it shows that there's something going on behind the scenes that is interesting for you to know about as a salesperson, um, or as somebody who's you know sending a sales team out there. Um, so, of all of the U.S. restaurants. Um, only fifteen percent in the last month. Um, so this is monthly data. Um, cha- added a menu item. So fifteen percent of U.S. restaurants in the last month added a menu item. So that's a pretty low penetration, considering like what we've the numbers we've been looking at. Um, but if you wanted a kind of very select list, that would be a really great way to start, right? You could look at 15% of restaurants and then you could filter that to whatever, you know, your specific category is, whether it's Mexican restaurants or, you know, vegan or whatever, right? Um, but you would have a list there of, you know, a drilled down list of places that you know are experiencing some change and are interested in kind of playing around. Mm-hmm. Not not in a like dismissive way, meaning playing around in a way that's like they're interested in trying new things and experimenting.
0: I would say uh, that sounds actually like a like a pretty big number to me because if you think about fifteen um, yeah. percent of all U.S. restaurants, like fifteen percent of of all menus and restaurants in the U.S. have changed over the past month, um, and obviously there's yeah. so many restaurants in the U.S. We're still talking about hundreds of thousands of places here, exactly. Um, and I think that the rate of change of this industry is crazy. Like things are changing so quickly because we always talk about the underlying consumer motivations and how things are driving towards these changes. And this could be anything from um, adding new plant-based alternatives to uh, your menu, or this could be adjusting a menu to um, like adjust a a certain dish to whatever is performing well in your area, things like that. This means that restaurants um, are... Understanding um, that they need to make changes in order to keep their consumers engaged, and they have to always be refreshing their their menus. Um, And it's also it's interesting to see the the cities that uh, this is happening in, right? Um, And it looks like pretty consistently, pretty consistently between fifteen and twenty percent of menus in in any given like major cities are are always changing, and every every one of those changes is an opportunity for uh, food service sales. Absolutely.
1: And this is just for adding a menu item, right, in the last month. So if you wanted to broaden this, you could look at also subtracting a menu item. You could do it over the past three months, right? You could, you could come up with a really pretty significant list here. Um, yeah. But as long as we're thinking about city winners, I just want to give a shout out to Phoenix... Didn't get a chance to win in any of the other categories, but they did pull out a great the big w here um so nineteen percent of um Phoenix restaurants uh, added a menu item in the last month um so if you're in Phoenix that's a great place to to think about tapping into that movement um I also want to call out uh, a last point before we we wrap up um so we're thinking about dynamism as or the kind of this dynamic restaurant menu um performance <clears throat> sorry, as a metric for, um, thinking about like an opportunity, right. When you could kind of come in the door and say, Hey, so I noticed that you're experimenting. I noticed that you're trying this out. I know that whatever. Right. Um, and you can also just a a small plug on our platform. You can actually see what's being added and what's being subtracted, let's say. So you could actually see the specific menu item that's being added, which is I think really useful information. Um, but in addition to that, um, if we think about restaurant closures and restaurant open openings, um, that's another way to think about um, moments where there could be a real opportunity in transition. So um, though the category that I think is most relevant. So if we're thinking about temporary closures, permanent closures, and open restaurants. So permanent closures, unfortunately, um, there's not a lot of innovation to happen there, right? Those are those are permanently closed. You could kind of track that and see, you know, if there's a new concept that's coming into that space and opening something up and looking for new vendors. We're not going to talk about that right now. What I think is most interesting is temporary closures. So temporary closures indicate, of course, that they are planning on reopening. They're doing some sort of change behind the scenes. Um, Because there is no actual food service happening in that establishment, it could mean that they have a little bit more time on their hands. It could mean that they are thinking about uh, kind of refreshing their menu from top to bottom. It could mean that they are bringing in new vendors and are kind of rethinking their uh, their offerings. So um, looking at temporarily closed restaurants in your given city that you're interested in, I think is a really interesting way to kind of get in the door, right? And think about, hey, I noticed that you've closed your doors for the next month. Can we talk about why? And uh, Maybe I can help support you. Maybe I can help elevate your menu, whatever. So if we look at um, the whole landscape, around 2% of restaurants in the US nationwide are temporarily closed right now. And the city that has the highest rate of uh, temporarily closed restaurants is actually San Francisco, at about almost five percent. Um, so there's a lot going on there, and, and definitely worth looking into. Um, I think it's also interesting to note the lowest, uh, the two lowest, like the two lowest numbers um, across the the cities we're looking at are actually Phoenix and Houston. So those actually have the lowest amount of temporary closures. Um, just a fun fact there. So uh, San Francisco around 5% of restaurants would be a really great place to to try out some ideas with temporary closed restaurants. Yeah,
0: and this could mean that um, and they're changing management or changing direction or any, any number of things. But we've been doing some mm-hmm. work with um, uh, distributors lately. And yeah. uh, we were spending a lot of time talking with them and learning about the importance of um, getting in with these restaurants in the menu uh, development phase Um, and establishing yourself as a trusted advisor as they're building out their menus um, and establishing yourself as the vendor of choice for whatever it is that uh, they need in order to make that menu happen. Um, And you can also use a lot of the trend data that we always talk about in order to help your partners design better menus that will sell better in a specific region. Um, So that's why even if the, the number, like these are... These are a few, like hundreds of restaurants that are undergoing these changes right now in any of the major cities. Um, there's probably even more of them out there. Um, could be really, really great opportunities to make their reopening much more successful, and also, of course, make a sale on um, on your side as well. That's amazing. Uh, I think there's a bunch of things that we didn't uh, get to that we're going to get to in other episodes this month. Like yeah, we're going to be sure. talking about. Uh, uh, menu gaps and uh, delivery gaps, uh, which is really interesting. And yeah, we're super gonna excited to, about that. Yeah. I think it's awesome, really but cool. um, but for this one, we're going to wrap it up. Um, so Miriam, thank you so much for putting together. Uh, this amazing spreadsheet and all of the research that (laughs) (laughs) went behind it.
1: Thank you Uh, for complimenting my spreadsheet. You made my day. uh,
0: Yeah. It's like the
1: (laughs) (laughs) Biggest compliment ever. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, The Food Intelligence Podcast is produced by Ophir Nagar and edited by Daniel Gall. Um, Thank you so much, to the wonderful team who makes this happen. Of course, to you, Miriam, for putting together um, all this okay. research. Um, if you want to follow along with some of the things that we're going through on this podcast, uh, you can go through uh, tastewise.io and uh, get started for free with TasteWise Starter. I will let you do a lot of... Um, The trend research that we talk about often for free. And if you want to dig in a bit deeper into the food service sales side, um, I want to invite you to join us on Tastewise Live this month, every week on Tuesday, you can sign up on the website as well, uh, where we'll be digging into exactly these types of things just on the platform itself, uh, where you can uh, you can get into it.
1: I also want to offer if you're interested in a particular market. So today we looked at US and kind of dived deeply into the geographic breakdowns among cities. But if you have a particular market that you're interested in and want us to take a look at, shoot us a note as well at live at and we'll see what we can do.
0: Awesome. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you on the next one.
1: See you later.